<clears throat> Give you all a warm welcome to our service tonight. We'll begin by singing Psalm 67 from Sing Psalms. We'll stand to sing. God, be merciful and bless us. Shine upon us with your face, that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. We'll sing the whole psalm. God be merciful and bless us, shine upon us with your face, that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. thanks we have this opportunity of meeting together tonight and we pray that you would speak to us from your word and that you would help us to understand the passage that we shall think about. We thank you Lord that your word in many places speaks about the extension of your church into the, into the Gentile world out from Israel and as we've just been singing in the psalm, the psalmist anticipated that, although it wasn't going to happen for a long time after he wrote those words. Uh, but we, as we sing them, we can look back and see that uh, the expansion of the church started a long time ago, and we know it is still continuing today uh, throughout the world. And we are thankful uh, that the psalm is an encouragement to us as we live in, in what for many different ways are uh, difficult, difficult times and yet there's no reason uh, why your church shouldn't continue to grow especially as it, Jesus has been exalted 
and has now got all power in heaven and on earth. And we can trust in him that there is no, nothing, as he himself says many times in his word, there's nothing that can hinder the growth of your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And yet we also know that at times problems can arise and opposition may occur and confusion may be there. And we thank you that your word gives us light on such circumstances and gives to us information that should help us when such uh, uh, problems come along. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us. Therefore, let's look at a passage uh, tonight as Paul endeavors to encourage his readers to consider uh, their privileges, even although they were living in difficult times as well. Lord, we thank you that we can begin this week with your day. We know that happens every week. But it's a fresh experience for us to, to have your day and to meet together. And we pray you will give us strength and stimulation and whatever help we need as we face these coming days. Uh, we realize that we are expecting some things, but no doubt things will happen that we don't expect. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us go through them all, uh, whether they are straightforward or where they are more difficult. We just ask, Lord, that you would give us, even from what we think about uh, today, that you would give us wisdom to know how to live in our, our world. You know the situations each of us is facing, and we pray you would bless us uh, as individuals and as families and as a congregation. And we ask that you would remember the children who are present and that you would uh, bless them as they grow up in a very different society uh, from which most of us grew up in. So, Lord, remember us in our service uh, tonight. Bless all other similar services taking place uh, throughout our denomination and indeed throughout our country. And we ask your blessing to be upon them all. Remember our nation spiritually. We pray for a revival, one that would bring about a great recovery. We know you've done it before, and we pray that you would do something greater in our time. Uh, even just because the population of our nation is much bigger than it was in the past. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you now and be with us in our service, we pray, and remember all of us for good, for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, we can read from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we'll read verses 11 to 18. No, 11 to 22, sorry. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And may God bless that reading. Uh, we can now sing from the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 87. And again, we'll stand to sing, and again, we'll sing the whole psalm. Upon the hills of holiness, he has foundation sets. God, more than Jacob's dwellings all, delights in Zion's gates. Things glory. Yeah. 
Um, I'm conscious that um, quite a lot of us are going to the meeting in Dingwall later on tonight, so I will aim to be finished by about 10 to 7. So um, that um, may or may not put your mind at rest. Anyway, I would um, like us to um, just look at the passage we read here in uh, verses 11 to um, 12, 22. One of the obvious um, features of life in the first century was the the issues caused by the ethnic divide between Jews and Gentiles. And that problem um, uh, surfaced in many different ways in different churches, even <clears throat> in some very um, everyday things like how do you do your shopping? Because if you wanted to buy some meat, it had been sold before it was sold in the market. Uh, the animal had been killed at the temple, <coughs> the pagan temple. And um, things like that happened quite often. And it kind of caused issues. Because you can easily imagine what should happen about that. Um, if your neighbor asked you for a meal and your pagan neighbor asked you for a meal and as you were about to start eating it, he informed you that the animal had been purchased through the temple where it had been offered as a sacrifice. And when you heard that, do you eat it? And um, those who had a strong conscience, well, they said, yeah, of course you do. But those with a weak conscience, I said, oh, no, you can't. Because it's involved in pagan worship. And those with a strong conscience said, but these idols don't exist. But those with the weak conscience, they still didn't feel free to take it. And one effect of this ongoing problem was that Gentiles kind of felt inferior. Gentiles in the church kind of felt inferior to Jews because Jews, well, they had the Old Testament and everything that the Old Testament describes. And we can see that here in verse 11, Paul wants to encourage the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were in the church in Ephesus and elsewhere. 
And he describes their problem in verses 11 and 12. The historical problem that they had to cope with, that they were separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger to the covenants of promise. That is what they had been. That's their problem. But then in verses 13 to 18, he explains how the problem has been solved. And he deals in these verses 13 to 18 with several barriers that had to be removed in order for the Gentiles to have equal status with the Jews. And having described in verses 13 to 18 what Jesus did, in verses 19 to 22, he tells these Gentiles what privileges they now have. And of course, you and I may say, well, that's a long time ago. But um, most of us, I'm sure, I think all of us actually, we're Gentiles. So um, this um, passage should speak to us because it tells us uh, where we are as far as God is concerned. So I just want us to think about um, these three issues very briefly. The problem for the Gentiles and then the provision of peace that was made by Jesus. And of course, peace carries a, a wide range of meaning. It's not just a absence of war, as some people have put it. I mean, signing a peace treaty is no guarantee of peace. It just means the cessation of um, whatever the problems were. But peace is hopefully the outcome of the end of the conflict. But there's no guarantee in, in human experience that that will happen. Uh, but here the, uh, Jesus uh, came and made peace. So we'll think about that. What is it to be at peace? As I titled the sermon, Finding a Peaceful Place. And there's only one peaceful place which I hope we'll see. And the one peaceful place at the moment that Paul is writing is the church. It's the place where peace should be known. And then the privileges, he mentions three of them in verses 19 to 22. So the problem facing the Gentiles... Well, that so was highlighted by a religious practice that God himself had brought, uh, commanded the Jews to engage in, and that, of course, was the sign of circumcision. And it was a very defining thing. If you were circumcised, if you were a Jew, you had the blessings. 
And if you were not circumcised, but uncircumcised, like the Gentiles, you had no blessing. It was very stark. I mean, it couldn't be, the distinction could hardly be more pronounced. I mean, we might find that hard to understand, but that's the way it was. That this particular ritual that God had given to the Israelites, it had become a permanent reminder to the Gentiles that they were outside. And the Jews were not slow to point that out. So every day they lived, whenever they saw a Jew, the Gentile would say to himself, I don't have their blessings. And we might think from verses 11 to 12 that Paul agrees with that. Because he goes on to mention what they didn't have. And, uh, and the basic privilege that they did not have, he doesn't just mean in verse um, 12 that they're unconverted. He doesn't just mean that when he says that they were separated from Christ. What he means when he makes that particular um, uh, description of them, he means that they didn't have a Messiah. The Jews had a Messiah. And Paul says that in Romans, what advantage has the Jew? And he goes and lists them all. And one of them is that one of the privileges is that from the Jews, the Messiah came. Now, uh, maybe some Gentiles had heard that there were some passages in the Old Testament uh, that announced that, that Gentiles would um, be blessed in some way when the Messiah came. But for centuries there'd be no sign of it. For thousands of years there'd be no sign of it. And the Jews were waiting for their Messiah, in one way or another they were waiting for him, and the fact that he hadn't appeared until Jesus came, that just told the Gentiles that their day of blessing had not yet arrived. And any of them that had been attracted to the Jewish religion, they had to become proselytes. And being a proselyte, they just had to adopt the Jewish Old Testament practices. But because the Messiah hadn't come, in order to fulfill passages like Psalm 67 and Psalm 87, they had no hope. I mean, hope is a present expectation of a future certainty. Hope is not just wishing something may happen in the future, but it's a present experience of a future certainty. A hope that lives, burns within someone's heart 
But these uh, Gentiles, they had no hope, as Paul puts it there at the end of verse 12. They had no interest, and they really, as Gentiles, couldn't have an interest until Christ came. But, as Paul says, Christ has come. So what's the problem? Well, the problem, I think, is, as Paul says here, the problem was, I should say, that they didn't understand the difference that the coming of Christ had made. So therefore, I want us to think now about verses 13 to 18, and what difference Jesus has made to everything. Because what Paul describes in verses 13 to 18 at that time was something entirely new, something radically different from anything else that existed. It wasn't a continuation of Israel. And it wasn't anything that the Gentiles could have imagined. But something new came into being as a result of what Jesus did. And we'll see what that was in a minute. Now, as you look at verses 13 to 18, we can see that uh, verses 13 and 18 basically say the same thing. And in verse 13, he says that uh, the Gentiles have been brought near near to God, that is, in verse 13. And he says in verse 18 that through him we both, as Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father. And of course, if you have access to the Father, then you're near to him. So he's saying the same thing. And if he says the same thing in verse 13, and then says this again in verse 18, it means that in between he's explained how that can be brought about. So what does he say in between these uh, verses? And I think he points to four barriers that Jesus had to deal with. And the first barrier is there described in um, verse uh, 15 where Paul says that Jesus by his coming in the flesh he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and we may wonder what he means by that well he's referring to a wall that was in the temple in Jerusalem a wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. There was the courts for the Jews and there was a court for the Gentiles and the very presence of that wall that separated them shouted to the Gentiles, keep out. 
Of course, there were other walls in the temple as well. I mean, for example, those, the court for the women, because there were, um, they weren't allowed into certain parts of the temple either. But here Paul is talking about the, the wall of hostility uh, that was there, a permanent reminder that the Gentiles could not get close to God. And this wall, it symbolized everything connected to the ceremonial law. Every Jewish ritual that had been handed, given by God to Moses, and all the things that it was contained in it, sacrifices and so on, these things were barriers. Jews couldn't go up to the temple, sorry, Gentiles couldn't go up to the temple and offer a sacrifice. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, and when he fulfilled all that had been pictured by these sacrifices, whatever sacrifice it was, whether it was the burnt offering or a sin offering or any other of these offerings that were offered, when Jesus died on the cross, he put an end forever to the value of these sacrifices. Overnight, they became redundant. No value in them anymore. I mean, if a Jew wanted, if a Jewish Christian, and Paul did this, if, if they wanted to go to the to the temple as a, and just remember what had happened to their forefathers, they were perfectly free to do that. But it no longer meant that there was any special privilege as far as access to God was concerned. All these rituals were just done away. Jesus has got rid of them. And if you're a Gentile, we are a Gentile, Imagine being a first century Gentile and saying to yourself, does that mean I don't have to go up to Jerusalem and offer these sacrifices? Yeah, it does mean that. No value anymore. So when your when Jewish friend who's also a Christian says, these sacrifices are wonderful, you don't have to agree with them anymore. And Jesus removed it. He also had to remove something else. And the something else he had to remove was the ethnic barrier. Paul keeps referring to the two, and when he's saying that, he's referring to the Jews and the Gentiles. As he says there, for example, in verse 13, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That Jesus is going to create something else that is not Jewish or Gentile. It's instead of the two, he's going to create 
something new. One new man. How is Jesus going to solve the racial issue? By creating a new race. And this new race is described here by, by Paul as one new man. Something completely different that's never existed before. I think it's quite interesting the way that this is referred to elsewhere in the New Testament. For example, in writing to the uh, Corinthians, and even with the simple issue of causing offense. It's not, it's not good to cause offense, but somebody, sometimes we cause offense. But who does Paul say we shouldn't cause offense to? Well, he says it in verse 32 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, that's Gentiles, or to the church of God. So there we can see that Paul, instead of dividing the human race into two groups, Jews and Gentiles, he divides them into three. Jews and Gentiles and the church of God. There's three different groups. If you're in the church, what marks Jews and what marks Gentiles no longer matters. The church is something new, completely different. And also, writing to the Galatians, Paul again refers to this in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, where he says, about Christians, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, I mean, Paul's not denying reality when he says that verse. He knows full well that out there, in the world outside the church, there are Jews and Greeks. And there are slaves and free. And there are males and females. And of course, each of these um, distinctions were given to you at birth. And they were given to you at birth, and they were there all your life. But Paul says, in the church, they count for nothing. They don't define you anymore. And that would have been very liberating, wouldn't it? I mean, there are no slaves in Christ's church. There may be people in the church who are slaves out there. But in the church, they're not slaves. And the same goes for the other distinctions that Paul says. Jesus has created something new. 
where the standards of either Jews or Gentiles are no longer the defining thing. So that's the second barrier removed. He's removed the barrier that was caused by the ceremonial law, and he's removed the barrier that was caused by your earthly status. But merely dealing with these two barriers didn't solve the main barrier. What is the main barrier? The main barrier is that neither Jews or Gentiles had peace with God. The Jew, despite all his privileges, was at enmity with God, unless he or she happened to be converted. And in order for this wonderful new man, and of course, This new man, as as Paul calls it, is composed of those who are going to inherit the new heavens and new earth. This new man, in order for it to be created, Jesus had to deal with the problem that they and God were at enmity with one another. And this he did on the cross. And what caused the enmity was our sin. And Jesus, on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. Our sin separated us from God. But it also separated God from us. And it's important to remember both sides to it. It wasn't just us who were at enmity with God. God was at enmity with us because we were children of his wrath. But Jesus on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. And as Paul says there in verse 14, because of what he did on the cross, I mean, who died on the cross? Well, what does verse 14 say? Sorry, verse um, 16. What was killed at the cross? The hostility between God and us. Jesus paid the penalty. And the barriers taken away. And a Jew or a Gentile The only way they get close to God is by trusting in Jesus. And when each of them trusts in Jesus, one of them is not closer to God than the other. They have equal. And that's a marvelous privilege. So that's three barriers dealt with. The ceremonial law the ethnic barrier, and the barrier that existed between God and man. But there was a fourth problem. It's all very well, we could say, 
for Jesus doing something in Jerusalem. But what benefit would that be in Ephesus? Well, Paul says in verse 17 how that uh, issue was dealt with. And in verse 17, he says something that's very striking. You know, we all know, don't we, that Jesus, it is three or so decades that he lived here in, in Israel, he hardly ever stepped outside of it. At the start of his earthly life, he had to go into exile into Egypt for a short time. And once or twice during his public ministry, he either stepped into what today we call Lebanon or Jordan. But for most of his life, he didn't step outside the borders of Israel. But here in verse 17, Paul says he actually went to Ephesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. And of course, we know Jesus didn't literally go to Ephesus. But when he ascended to heaven and sent down the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lived in the lives of all these apostles and others who took the gospel to different places, who was actually traveling to those places? What did Jesus say in his great commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and lo, I am with you. Wherever you go in the world, I am with you. I'm with you, of course, by the Holy Spirit is what he meant. So here, to deal with this fourth problem of how these people who were far away would hear the gospel, Jesus himself, by the Spirit in the lives of these individuals that he had sent into the world, he came and he preached peace, as it says there in verse 17, to those who were near and to those who were far. So Jesus has dealt with all the barriers. It's incredible, isn't it? Privileges are now all entirely spiritual. There's no longer any privileges that are not spiritual. And that's good to know. And the outcome of all that is, verse 18, that we have access to the Father. Now this verse is often misquoted. This verse has got nothing to do with prayer. Although we use it to describe that, that's not what it means. It means, well, we put it this way, the Jews had their space, the Gentiles had their space, now Christians have their space. 
Where is our space? Our space is in the presence of the Father. And that's where we are all the time. And Paul here used an illustration from the ancient world where someone who wanted access to the king or the ruler, he had to get a, an authorized person to take him in. And this person was given the authority that if he allowed anyone in, that person had automatic access. And Paul takes that picture and says to these Gentiles, Jesus has taken you into the presence of God. And you never leave it. You can't lose this privilege. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's not something you step in and out of. It's a new identity, the new location. Far higher than anything the Jews had, far higher than anything the Gentiles had. It's a privilege given by Jesus to those who trust in him. And they find a peaceful place. There, in the presence of the Father. What a wonderful reality. And if you and I are Christians, that's where we are. Great, isn't it? Imagine someone saying to you, where do you live? I mean, if you could say that to, the, to a Jew, uh, you could say, well, I live in Jerusalem or something like that. Say to a Gentile, where do you live? Well, I live in London or Inverness or New York. Says to a Christian, where do you live? And we should reply, we live in the presence of God. And then very briefly, there's the privileges Three privileges were part of verses 19 and, 20, 19 and 22. We belong to the heavenly city. And we belong to the heavenly family. And we belong to the heavenly temple. We're not so much in this. It's a picture, of course. You have to remember that. Because it was, the idea of a city is, occurs numerous times in the in the Bible. But here, as far as Paul's concerned, we're not traveling to the city. We're in the city already. And of course, a city implies structure and order. I once heard a sermon by a man in which he he used this text and talked about all the things you could find in a city, like a library and so on, town hall, etc. And how all these had applications in the, in the church. But a city's got structure. Usually had a wall around it. Protection. Household. That's got the idea of family. 
or even of servants. But the point of a household was it all depended on the resources of the one who was the head of the house. And if we're belonging to the household of God, then we've got all the resources of God. And we're for a temple. Well, if the city speaks of structure and order and the household just speaks of provision by the householder, then temple surely tells us that we're called to be worshippers. And there in the presence of God, Christians get these three privileges. They belong to the only thing in existence that has real structure. That's the Church of Christ. I'm not talking about denominations. Because the Church of Jesus has got real structure. And we belong to the only household that has got full provision. And we belong to the only entity that can actually worship God. We're part of the temple. That's our privileges. And I think Paul is saying to these Gentiles, and he's probably saying to us, realize the peaceful place that you've been given because there's nothing like it anywhere apart from the church I hope we're all in it shall we pray Lord we give you thanks for the amazing grace that you have shown that you created a new man a man that's not like the other alternatives around us. And we can put others instead of Jews and Gentiles. All the organizations that are around. But none of them can compare to the church. And we thank you, Lord, for the way that Jesus removed the barriers, including the barrier of our sin in order to bring us to a peaceful place and help us to be glad that we have been brought near to God and we have access at all times to the Father, that we live in the presence of God. So help us, Lord, to realize all that and to remember it. For your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 48. From Sing Psalms. Verse 9 to 14. We contemplate your steadfast love within your house, O God. Verses 9 to 14. We contemplate your steadfast.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.